Welcome to Tear Out the Tags, the podcast brought to you by Embolden Label, a space where you will learn to remove the labels that are holding you back. Your life is increasingly defined by simple words that are meant to categorize you. These words are turned into hashtags, making you feel stuck with a limited definition of what you can be in this world. Tags, though helpful online, are ineffective at fully describing how individual and extraordinary you are. I'm your host, B. Evans, here to take you on a journey to live emboldened within yourself and embolden others along the way. Let's get started. Today on the show, we are talking about a tag, and it is a tag that I need to talk about. So I'm super excited to have this guest on my show. We are going to be talking about the tag authentic. Now, authentic can be a little bit of a buzzword in the personal development space, but I have an expert on today who is an authentic advocate speaker, writer, and coach who's on a mission to make the world a better, kinder, and more joyful place. And when you hear from this amazing human, you will know exactly why she teaches what she teaches. She's the designer of The Art of Undoing, which helps people undo who they think they should be and unlock who they are to become. Now, she is quite literally also an expert in tear out the tags because what she is doing is so similar to what we do. And I'm so excited for her to kind of unveil how she's doing it and how she's leading in this field. She is a former global business executive at Google, where she worked for 12 years before leaving at the height, the very tippy top of her career as a single mom to empower people to embrace their authenticity and amplify their impact. Oh my gosh, you have no idea how much I'm excited to have this human on our show. Welcome, Erica Gerdes. Ah, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to speak with you today. I am too. When we connected, it was like instant for me. I just, it was like, I just understood you. We wear a lot of the same tags. You have, you know, this amazing story that's super easy to connect with and relate to. So I'm just really excited to dig into all of the things that make Erica you, and also how you teach people to find their authentic self. So first Mm -hmm. I want to start with sort of telling you what I think authenticity is. And then I'd love to know what you think authenticity is, because I think sometimes we get kind of tied into our definitions and maybe that's why we struggle to find something. So for me, I struggle with the word authentic. I really do. And I think the reason for me is I've grown so much so quickly and sort of this like ever changing self that I struggle to know if authentic is real, right? Like how do we really know if authentic is real? And so I ask myself this all the time because sometimes I feel like authentic is a momentary thing. Like today I feel like this person and it feels very authentic to me, but if I step through something tomorrow that shifts who I feel like I am, then is that also authentic? So I'm dying to know because my definition is very muddy, as you can tell, how do you define authentic? Well, first of all, I have to commend you for the reflection, because I think the way that you just described authenticity is exactly what I consider authenticity to be. And it is this ability to, because anytime we're sort of holding on to who we think we are, who we think we should be, it means that to a certain extent, we're limiting ourselves and what mm. we're, what our potential or impossibility is. And so the way I think about authenticity, because I also struggle with the word authenticity and I've, I've really grappled with, is this the word I want to use? Because everybody, 
you know, thinks they understand what it means. And so it's a, it's become a cliche. Like, you know, we hear all the time, just be your true self, be authentic. Like, what does that really mean? Most of the people that I'm working with, when they're willing to admit sort of behind closed doors in, you know, very hushed words, they don't know who they are. So if we don't know who we are, how can we be authentic? So I had to actually go back to, because this is who I am, the etymology of the word, the origin of the word in um, old Greek or old Latin, I can't remember which one it is. And the, in the origin of the word, it actually means to act in one's own authority. And the way that I interpret that, right? Okay. I love that. Yeah. We need a moment of silence to like, that's authority is just a word that I grapple with in my life. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you just grabbed me by the heartstrings. Okay. Keep going. Mm. So, well, I mean, like the way that I interpret that is to be the author of our lives, to be at Mm. choice. It doesn't mean that we don't continue to recreate ourselves, but that we are intentional about the recreation that we commit to, or that we, the steps that we're walking and what holds us back from being authentic most of the time is not, I mean, most of us say, well, I would be authentic or I am being authentic when I'm saying these, you know, really rude things or sharing my mind unadulterated or whatever it is. That's not really authenticity. That is reactivity. Mm. And so, right. Because so much of the time we need to defend ourselves. We need to ourselves. We need to show who we are. We need for people to see us in a certain way. None of that is actually being intentional. That is being reactive. Right. And so when we can be the authority of our lives, act in self-agency, become the authors that are currently, by the way, as you just described in your definition of it, writing the book of our lives with every word that we write, every mm. sentence. Mm-hmm every paragraph. Yes. The only way though, that we're ever going to be able to write a new and different chapter or change the ending is by looking at the stories that we've been writing over and over again in different ways throughout our lives. Yeah. And it goes down to the words matter piece, right? Every word that we write in on that page or in that paragraph, to your point, it matters on, on the road that we're leading towards. And yeah. so many times we're using words. We don't actually know the meaning to a hundred percent. And And many of the words that are actually dictating how we show up are coming from the invisible spoken words inside of our heads, right? Right. Like it's that, you know, running internal monologue that most of the time we don't even hear because it just sounds like white noise. But when we can dig into that white noise and bring it more to the consciousness, we start to hear how frequently we are telling ourselves we're stupid or how often we look in a mirror and say, God, I look fat or, you know, whatever, or or, I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not whatever enough. And all of those words matter. And I think, you know, to, to go back to the way that you talk about it, those are the labels that we walk around or the tags that we walk around wearing without necessarily even realizing that we're wearing them, but they absolutely are causing us to be reactive and preventing us from being authentic. Well, and it's funny because sometimes someone will see something in us that is brilliant and amazing and vibrant and radiant or whatever, all these amazing words. And they see this talent or this unbelievable talented human who can come out and, and be something special. And yet we don't see that in ourselves because we're so busy attaching those words to ourselves and and labeling ourselves with negatives. And I think it can be both. I think you can be labeled by people through life 
And then you become the bully. You become the person who's continuously telling yourself you're all the things that you've collected through your life. And you talk about this. You talk about how childhood kind of creates this identity for us. Can we go into that? Sure. I would love to. Yeah. You know, it's, I didn't start out when I left Google a couple of years ago, I had literally no idea that I was going to be talking about identity or authenticity or really any of the things I'm talking about now. I just knew I wanted to go out and help people. And over the last couple of years, as I have really dug into what is limiting people, and these are, I'm working with high achievers from the most elite companies in the world. Like these are people who theoretically quote unquote, have it all and should know that they have it all. But instead, just as you said, they're looking at themselves and try for all of their weaknesses and trying to hide or make up for those rather than seeing their strengths and the gifts that they truly have and the way that they could amplify their impact and change the world. Right. And as I started really helping them, I noticed that whenever we would go into sort of uncovering some of the limiting beliefs, which is, you know, another like pretty popular phrase, cliched yeah. phrase, limiting beliefs. 100%. Yeah. So as we would uncover the limiting beliefs, every single time we got down to sort of like those deeper beliefs or tags or fears or whatever, almost without question, they would say, oh, that's my parents. Mm. Oh, I can hear my sister. Oh, that's my mom right there. That's my grandmother. Every time. And these are women and men who are in their 40s, 50s, 60s, who are still reacting to the stories of who they thought they should be when they were six years old. Right. And what it finally made me realize I did so much more research is that, so our unconscious is basically solidified. Our personality, our identity is solidified by the time we're around seven years old and our brain. Yeah. Right. So like not know this. mm -hmm. So it's fascinating because what it means is that the stories that we're told very early about who we need to be, the way that we're socialized and the way that we are sort of raised, all of those things create very deep neural pathways inside of our brain that start very early. And so by the time our brain is finished developing, by the time we're around seven years old, like that's pretty fixed. Right. And so what, what we tend to do from that point forward, unless we do some serious inner work, is that we will continue to reconfirm those beliefs again and again versus trying to disprove them because we see through them. And so they become our lives. They become who we are and the way that we believe ourselves to be in this world. Yeah. And so, you know, people say, well, my identity became this when I was in my twenties. It's very unlikely. It's much more likely that your identity has been that since you believed who you thought you should be Yeah. in order to get loved and accepted, you know, approved of, and then you just, you know, found different ways to reinforce it. Well, and it's funny because it takes so long to reveal that it's not accurate or it's not somewhere you want to live. So I see it as like a checklist of expectations that you're handed. And it's like, it's on like a concrete scribe, you know, Mm. (laughs) if we're, we're talking old school days. And so you (laughs) go through life and you may have been handed that when you're seven, but it does, it takes until you're maybe in your thirties or sometimes even longer to where you've checked all those boxes and you're standing there holding this concrete scribe that is who you are. Essentially you think, right. I'm, I'm air Mm -hmm. quoting that. And then you're standing there going, no, I don't want to be this. And really from there, you're starting from square one in this inner work and trying to figure out who you are. I a thousand percent agree. And for me, I love the concrete. 
I, I think of like the tablet, what is it? The 10 commandments, like that's what yes, I think, you yeah. know, in, my, in my head. Uh, and I definitely was, you know, kind of given one. And at the same time, it wasn't that I got to a place that I said, Ooh, this isn't who I want to be. It's that I got to a place where I collected all the gold stars and I checked all the boxes and yes. I became exactly who I was supposed to be or thought I should be. And I still wasn't happy. Right. And I have a similar it, story. yeah. And it never felt like enough. Nothing ever felt like it was enough. Not to say that enough was going to be in, you know, more money or house or any of that kind of stuff. It wasn't the the sort of hedonistic material needs. It was, I couldn't, I didn't feel fulfilled. I felt empty. I felt like a black hole was yeah. in the pit of my stomach. And that's when I started saying, okay, but none of this stuff that I've been trying to achieve is working. Like that's not making me happy for any length of time. And I had, I realized that I had to stop looking for my life in, in around the next corner. And I started, mm. I had to start looking for my life inside of me. So do you know what was missing at that point that do you have a tangible? Ah, well, that's important. That's an important piece to find. Yeah. But I didn't know that at the time. I mean, so my journey um, started when my second daughter was two weeks old. We discovered that she had a tumor on her spinal cord Mm. and I had, you know, up to that point, lived my life as an overachieving perfectionist people pleaser and had done all the things I should do and become the person I should be and right. was haunted. You know, my, my life looked really perfect. Like I, I had a suburban brick home on a pond out and, and I had a, you know, really attractive, successful husband and I worked at Google and, you know, all the things yeah. and okay. it still wasn't quote unquote enough. And so when she was in the hospital, having a seven hour spinal neurosurgery at three months old, oh my gosh! yeah, it was the, one of the hardest experiences I've ever, I've ever had in my life. And it became a total turning point because I was sitting in the hospital in the dark, listening to her sort of come off of her anesthesia after a seven hour surgery. And I could hear the, these kids in other rooms in the pediatric ICU that were crying and screaming or that were, you know, laughing or whatever. And I sat there and I started spinning out and I was so angry at God and the world. And Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe this was happening to her, to these kids, to me. And all of a sudden I had a thought that changed my life. And the thought was, you have one life to live. There are no second chances, no do-overs. You get one go round at this life. Why would you spend one more minute waiting to be happy? And I realized I, I was waiting. I was in my thirties and I was waiting for the time when all the gold stars would pay off and all the boxes were checked. And I'd finally feel like I fit in my life. Totally. And then I thought, what the hell am I waiting for? There are kids in this hospital who may never get to leave. I have right. every opportunity and privilege in the world. What am I waiting for? Right. And that's when I realized. And then, so like from that moment forward, I started realizing that I, ha- I couldn't keep waiting for things to change. I had to discover inside of me what was missing. And what I ultimately realized is that I had turned myself into whoever I thought I should be and had completely lost and abandoned who I really truly was. And it took a long time to get back to it. Well, and I think that a lot of people that are listening, you know, and I want to touch on the relationship piece because you and I've both been through a divorce and we've both been single parents and we've both had major career shifts in our lives. And I think when it comes to having that moment and you're in a relationship, there's so much fear in that alone of if I go and chase after who I really am, will Mm -hmm. this person still love me? Will this person still be standing next to me? And I found, I had my turning point after my divorce and you had yours before, but Mm -hmm. I think that there's, you know, 
when we have those shifts in any relationship, it can be a, a love relationship, or it can even just be with familial relationships, our, that rubber band gets really tight when we start searching for ourselves, especially when people around us are super sure of who we are. So mm. what was that like for you to mm. chase after Erica, chase after the me inside of you and potentially upset the relationships around you? I'm so glad that you brought this up. And before I answer that question, I'm just going to say that you're absolutely right. And I've heard this so many times. I mean, part of the work I do is to coach individuals who are looking for, you know, greater impact and possibility in their lives. And often people will come to me and they'll say, I feel stuck. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I feel like I need change. I'm really bored in my career. 30 minutes into the conversation, we'll realize it's not about their job. It's about their relationship. Right. But so much of the time, we're really scared to open those doors or right. ask those questions because what if? I don't think I want to know the answer. And right. so we do need to get to the place where we're willing to ask ourselves any question because we have to be willing to let go of good to go after great without a guarantee because it's the only way our lives will ever get to be great ever. Yeah. And it is scary. It is hard. I mean, you know, we find so much safety and security in who we think we are and how others see us. And so to rock that boat or upset that image is terrifying. And again, that, this goes back to, you know, consciously our brains can say, well, that's silly. Of course, they're going to love me for who I am. But unconsciously, which controls our thoughts and behaviors, 95% of our time and our lives, there is a real belief deep down that if I change who I show up as, I will no longer belong. And that is a risk to my physical survival. That is what our unconscious is telling us. And it is a fight or flight. And that is a you know, very instinctive response. It's going to keep us from exploring those things. So the first thing I would say is we have to tread very lightly here, like go easy because again, these are, you know, deeply rooted fears and they are directly related to our survival. And so we have to treat ourselves with kindness and grace when we start to explore this stuff and everybody else for that matter, because our brains don't like uncertainty and our brains in our bodies certainly don't like feeling that our survival is at risk. Right. <laughs> so right. with when we can do it in a sort of a loving and, and supportive way, it makes it much easier. I say that from experience because that's not how I did it. <laughs> Me neither. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is why I teach people this because it's mostly what I learned not to do. And so for me, yeah, I mean, what I ultimately realized as I started finding the me inside of me is that my marriage stopped working and I wanted to progress and grow. And that the person that my husband married is not the person I was. And as I evolved, our marriage he didn't want that version of me. And I can understand. I changed the rules of the game. Yeah. I, you know, I wasn't who he, I made myself out to be. And because I had become a chameleon. And so I, you know, could just like slide myself into whoever was most appropriate or lovable at the time. And the good news is that we have been able to actually recreate an amazing relationship. Mm -hmm. It's a much more solid supportive relationship than we ever had before. And it is uh, more of a, like a brother sister relationship now. I mean, it's definitely very 
I, the idea of kissing him literally makes me want to throw up. But, uh, <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't hear this. <laughs> yeah, well, he would probably agree. He would agree. Um, so <laughs> yes, I mean, about me, but because we were able to let go of the expectations we had of who we thought we should be for each other as husband and wife and really allow ourselves to accept who we are as individuals, as human beings, it enabled us to really grow into who we were to become as individuals and as a couple. Yeah. And so now we're great co-parents and like I co-parent his, I co-raise his puppy and cool. yeah. And so we, you know, we talk, we can laugh. We do not exchange dating advice or, you know, go on family vacations together or anything like that, but it's way better than it ever was before. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to have those boundaries around, you know, around the relationship that you've created. Cause sometimes I think it, it can pendulum swing too far the other way. I, there's a mm-hmm. thousand directions. I want to go with this. Cause I love mm-hmm. your story. So first I want to ask you, we have a, another commonality that has a little tweak of a difference. And that difference is you were at the peak of your career. You were a single mom and you just left, you just mm-hmm. left this unreal career that you had developed all of this achievement and a company that most people would kill to work for. And you literally left it all behind with just courage. I mean, pure courage. And I pendulum swung from an unhealthy relationship to an unhealthy work relationship. So I actually like suction cupped to my career. Mm. And, you know, as a single mom was like, okay, this is my safety net. I can't leave this. So how did you do it? How did you just, I'm channeling like my single mom tag. And I just can't imagine how you made that leap. So tell me what it took. A lot of time, to be honest with you. The way that I think of authenticity, going back to where we started, is that authenticity is a practice. And it's one that we have to commit to every Mm -hmm. single day. And it's not, we don't change our lives with these really big sweeping changes, like, you know, jumping off of the the cliff to change your career. Like I did. I mean, yes, that was a dramatic change. And it wasn't like, I just woke up one day and was like, you know what? I think I'm going to quit my job. Instead, the way that we change our lives and actually make it sustainable is with a million little micro decisions. Mm-hmm. And we're making millions of little micro decisions every single day of our lives. And they're either taking us further away from ourselves or they're bringing us back closer to ourselves. So true. And Yeah. And so what I recognized, so kind of my journey was first, I started discovering who I was and that's when my relationship stopped working. When I ultimately realized that the only way for me to really be myself and be happy was to not be in my marriage anymore. I also, I had gone through, my parents went through a really traumatic, horrible divorce when I was young. Like I had to testify in front of my parents and basically choose between them when I was nine years old or something. So And it really screwed me up, but I didn't want, I didn't want my kids to go through the experience of having a traumatic divorce that, but I also didn't, I didn't believe that I had to choose between my kids' happiness or my happiness. Right. right. I believed it was possible to have both, but it meant that I had to stop listening to everybody else because everybody wanted to give me advice about how they, I should kick them out and I should lawyer up and protect myself and all the stuff that, you know, we typically do in a divorce. And I did it differently. And my husband and I committed to living in the same house for a year and a half while we went through our divorce and we switched rooms. Yeah. Every two weeks so that neither of us had the master the entire time. And, um, that's a commitment. I mean, that's a big deal for those that have never stepped through this. That's a big deal. We did it for, I think three months and, and it's a big deal. It it was so 
difficult and it was so exhausting and it is what enabled us to to use the Gwyneth Paltrow term conscious uncouple because or consciously mm -hmm. uncoupled because you know you can't you have to exert at a certain point you have to stop hating a person when you see them all the time it is so much easier to hate somebody when you can like you know make them into whoever you want them to be from far away mm -hmm. but like Brene Brown says you know something about like step closer get closer in one of her books she talks about that and I think that's true and you know there were a lot of times where I just I wanted to kick him out and I wanted to lawyer up and I wanted to do all the things and I kept telling myself but this is going to be worth it in the end. Yeah. I am going to go through this and learn how to drop my ego and learn how to communicate with him and learn how to build a new and civil relationship with him without having to prove that I'm right all the time, without having to hold on to the hurt and the anger. And what happened was that by the time he moved out, so we got divorced a year and a half after we got separated and he moved out the next week. And by that time, we were actually like pretty good and have continued to evolve and, and progress and grow. But the reason I share that right here is because several years later, I was still in my job at Google. This was um, 2016 and I didn't leave until 2019, January, 2016. Uh, like a year or so later, I went through a really big failure in my job and it was, I thought I was gonna get fired. And I, you know, all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be terrible. I realized, the only reason I'm staying in this is because I don't know what else I want to do. And I'm too scared to ask myself a question. So similar mm. to the, the partnership. And when I was really willing to be honest with myself, I knew I didn't want to be doing this job for the rest of my life. I didn't want to be on this path. Right. And so what I ultimately, what ultimately occurred to me is when I had been willing in my divorce to trust myself and believe that, and yes, and was possible. It didn't have to be either or in my divorce, mm. it was either my happiness or my kids. In my career, it was either fulfillment or success. And I see so many people who are, you know, basically saying, well, I can either be fulfilled or I can be successful. And because of my success getting divorced differently and believing that and was possible or both was possible, I was willing to do the same thing with my job and said, you know what? I'm going to believe in myself this time. I'm going to believe that success and fulfillment is possible. It worked in my divorce. It may take a while. It may be painful. It may be like, it may rock me to my core. And I believe it's going to be possible. And that is how I left my job because of my divorce, not in spite of it. I love that. That's such a unique story. What word would you, <laughs> what tag would you say? Would you like identify that is? Cause I, I want to call it I courage. Know. Yeah. That's, okay. <laughs> that's where I was going with that. I think it's ballsy too. I think it's incredibly brave, you know, especially as a single parent. I have a good friend going through this right now. She's, she works for a very well-known organization, very similar story to what we're describing. And she's just become a single mom in the last year. She is incredibly talented at what she does. She could start her own business so easily, but there's fear in it. There's fear when you're the only provider of a household. And when you have, you know, I know as a single mom for me, I would look years out and think, okay, well, if I make this decision now and it doesn't go well, then you start thinking about college and their first car and their wedding and all of the things that you're, you want to provide for your children, whatever that is. And you can, I noticed you can really get stuck in like the foreseeing of their checklist of expectations, which mm -hmm. also makes me realize I tag my children the same way I was tagged, you know, and, and mm -hmm. it may be different, but 
each and every one of us has to overcome this checklist of expectations that we're handed because we are, we're raised in a setting where there's an expectation, where there's a trend. So I want to go back to, and we've not talked about this tag on the show yet either, but the tag chameleon is Mm. to Mm. me is super relatable. I have at many times in my life seen it as a negative because it seems to really upset relationships in my life, but I very much see myself as a chameleon. And I've noticed that I get labeled more when people can't understand me. And so when I'm able to shift around and create relationships really easily and attach myself to different hobbies or different vocations, people get really shaken about my authenticity. They're like, they don't Mm. know who I am. And that just really frustrates them. So, and I think Mm. it goes back to kind of as humans, we have this need to categorize people. It helps us understand somebody if we're like, okay, they're an extrovert, they are, you know, high energy, they're a mom, they're whatever the things are. But I've always felt like my chameleon tag makes me have like all these things that don't make sense to anybody else. So how do you Hmm. define chameleon? So what I would actually say, and this is similar to what many of my clients end up recognizing about themselves, you're probably divergent is Mm. what I would guess. You have, yeah. So this might be a new tag to add. Hopefully a productive and helpful tech versus yeah. one that's limiting for you. But divergent people like a variety of interests, have a variety of different tastes and preferences, and they don't like fit in any sort of like linear or convergent way. And they often think sort of out of the box as well. Mm-hmm. And so many of, like I said, many of my clients are, are that way. And that is usually helpful when they're like, oh, that's why I don't like to conform, even though I'm really good at it because I'm a chameleon. So on the chameleon thing, I always described myself as a chameleon and I didn't realize that was going to be something that a lot of other people also resonate with. And what I, the way I interpret chameleon now is on the positive side, it means that we are actually one of the gifts that we have. The way I think of this as a gift is that we are actually really good at reading energy. Yeah. It's an intuitive thing. So like intuitively, we understand how we can show up in a way that creates the most connection and sort of opens greater opportunities and things like that. On the less positive side, the liability side, it means that unless we're really aware of what we're doing, it happens unconsciously and we slide into who we think we should be all the time. Um, And it's going to differ depending on who the audience is. And what the sort of quote unquote best version is to show up as. Right. And so when people can recognize the chameleon like quality that they have, sometimes it comes like people will call the be the people pleaser or right. Yes. You know what I mean? So like there's all kinds of shapeshifter. It is actually a, often I call it a reactive pattern because it, we do it reactively. A lot of the time we just yeah. automatically shapeshift or, you know, change who we are or whatever. So when we can recognize that's happening, it's good to get into our heads and ask ourselves, what's the story I'm telling myself about like why I wanted to react this way, why I'm feeling unsafe at some level, what's the identity issue or challenge that's being triggered there. And when we can recognize that it's happening and we can become more intentional about it, it's actually, like I said, it's a superpower. It's a gift right? because it also means that you are likely extroverted. You have really good inviting energy. You have the ability to match your energy level to somebody else's and 
that creates a lot of you know deeper trust and deeper connection and, and communication and things like that. So I, what I often have to remind clients is that our gifts and our liabilities are usually two sides of the same coin. Mm. And so we usually look at them as what are the things that are constantly getting in the way? What is, what, you know, like, what are those weaknesses that I'm constantly having to like battle or, you know, fight against? And mine, one of mine is always chameleon. But when I recognize that as the gift that it is, I can actually use it. it I can be intentional about it to create the kind of environment that lets people in. Yeah. We gotta be manipulative. I'm curious. Yeah. So I'm curious. I'm a big believer and this is just in my life, but I think this is fairly needed in a lot of, in a lot of people's lives, just because I think we tend to move through life so quickly that we're just sort of putting out the one or two or three checklist items that we are. So I might say I'm a mom, I'm a business owner and I'm a Christian, right? Those are just three random tags that I wear that are more like roles. But I've really noticed, and I have a mentor who believes in this, who says you need to fill in the gaps. So if you are talking to somebody who wears that chameleon tag, how do you recommend that they fill in that gap? How, how do they speak that out so that people understand who they are and how they're connection based that way? Can you say more about the gaps? To yeah, answer the question? I think when we're sort of moving through the world and people just see those three roles, maybe that they know about us, or even it can be our external brand. So you're a gorgeous woman. If you just show up in the room and I hear that you're, you had a long history of working at Google and you're now in people development, I instantly am just going to have beliefs about you. It's just natural. You're, you may intimidate me. You may inspire me. You may be someone I can't wait to talk to, or you may be someone who I'm afraid to talk to, right? It, depending on who I am, I'm instantly going to sort of brand you externally. So if you are someone who has just five minutes to get to know someone and you need or want them to know that you wear this chameleon tag and understand what that means inside of you, how do you go about filling in that gap, letting them know, you know, yes, I'm Erica Gerdes. I have this wonderful career history. I do people development. I'm this powerhouse. And here's a piece of me that you may not know, but it might be helpful for you to know about it. Interesting. I believe that we're always communicating parts of ourselves in the way that we show up in our nonverbals and all of that kind of stuff. You're absolutely right. I think that people are constantly making assumptions about that, about us, and we're making assumptions about other people always. And so that's there. I'm going to unpack this a little bit because I'm hearing a few different things Yeah, do it. around the assumptions. And I think that I'm, I want to come back to that one. For me, and the way that I talk about authenticity, the need to prove something to somebody, the need for somebody, for me to have to show somebody what's in the gaps means that I, that's about me. That's an insecurity in me. Mm. If I need you to see me in a certain way. Okay. Interesting. That's me having to prove myself in some way. I need you to be in, be, you know, see me in a way and what is likely to happen because when we are in a place where we need somebody else to see us in a certain way especially as chameleons we tend to manipulate it's a very like i think manipulation is a really um loaded term and it yeah. often sounds like really bad but 
when we, you know, shift our energy in order to create the outcome that we want in order to get somebody to like us, because we know how to totally. do that's manipulation. Oh yeah, it totally <laughs> is totally unconscious. And it's totally not, you know, intended in a bad way, but it's still manipulation. So the opposite of that would be vulnerability and not having to prove anything and just showing up. And I don't need to tell you that I worked at Google because if I do, that probably means I felt insecure. And if I drop that I'm a single mom, probably means that I'm in, that I'm feeling a little insecure because it's never the labels. It's never the, ta the tags as you call them. Yeah. It's what the tags mean. So for me, Google doesn't mean, it's not like, okay, cool, the search engine. What it meant for me was people would automatically see me as high achieving, smart, right. successful, doing big prestigious things, being special. And that was always something that like, that was, that's who I needed to be in order to feel loved when I was little. And so like, now I've got this one tag that basically explains all of my identity to you and the things that I needed to be seen as. Now, if I, you know, mention that I'm a single mom, the what's underneath that, the meaning is I'm strong and independent. Mm -hmm. And like, I find that that's a label that I, or a tag that I, I will just casually just throw out in conversation, usually early in the conversation. So that like, you will know enough about me to know that I am a strong and yeah. independent woman. <laughs> yeah. I, oh gosh, I relate to that so much. Yeah. And so I, you know, anytime we find ourselves like, oh, I need you to see me in this way. That's, it's always a time to mm -hmm. go inside and say, what is it that's going, what is the story I'm telling myself? Because it usually means that we think that we are more worthy of attention and belonging when they see us in a certain way. And that means that we're no longer being vulnerable yeah, or authentic. Okay. So if you had, I love this. If you had to tell me who you are, if I just mm -hmm. said, Erica, who are you? How hmm. would you describe to me who Erica is? This is such a good question that is so hard. So the reason I teach authenticity is because I practice it so much and because I come to it with gritted teeth and white knuckles. So yeah. I am by no means God, I love perfect that. at this. <laughs> Agreed. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I struggle, like the things I teach because I've had, I've struggled with them so much and have learned sort of ways to not overcome them because I don't think we ever overcome this stuff. It's it, they, I've learned how to sort of grow with them and grow right. beyond them, hopefully. So who would I say I am? That was clearly me trying to delay my answer. <laughs> I get so uncomfortable with this. Oh, well, I'm trying to do. think like what? We, yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah, so what I'm trying always, to- So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to buy you some yeah. time here because I'm going okay. to kind of throw at you. I had a mentor who asked me, who are you without a role? It took me six months, six months. That is a long time of trying to answer a question that seems so simple. And every time I would go to her, she'd say, that's a role. So I would say, I'm a child of God. And she'd go, that's a role. And I'd be like, well, I'm a mom. That's a role. And, you know, I, we went around and around and this woman is very wise and also very hilarious. So eventually I finally figured out who I was without a role. And that was relationship. Who I am without a role is actually like connection. That's mm -hmm. literally the reason I get out of bed every morning. And then I realized that one of my core values is discovery. So it, but if I introduce myself as B Evans and I am relationship and discovery, people are like, what does that mean? You know? Mm. So that's, it's hard to introduce ourselves in non-traditional ways as well. And I found that in my life, relationship and discovery were fighting each other. So mm. a lot of mm -hmm. my discovery would make the current relationships I had uncomfortable. And then if I had really solid relationships and I went off and I wanted to go skydiving, 
that was also not very well accepted. And so that's where I really fell into this kind of chameleon role of like, okay, well, I'll satisfy you guys here in this moment in my job. And then I'll go and skydive on the weekends and make a whole new group of friends. And all my relationships became very divided. Mm-hmm. And that was really where I found safety in the, that chameleon tag that I wear, because I would kind of, you know, like my life was like completely different when I would be in this group compared to a group over here. So hopefully I bought you some time and, and gave you some inspiration on that, but I'm, mm-hmm. so I'm going to throw it back at you and you don't have to answer this. You know, I don't think it's, I think part of being authentic in our identity is not necessarily knowing exactly how to label who we mm-hmm. are. Well, what I love that. And thank you for sharing. And your. I love that you even have recognized the, the challenge between relationship and connection. And I can see now going back to some of the questions you asked me before, I can see that struggle that you mentioned there too. So for me, the way I was trying to think of my answer is, do I want to give you the answer that I'd probably give you if you just like literally asked me that question, or do I want to give you the answer that would be my sort of ideal answer? So I'm going to give you both. So my ideal answer, like if you, as you and I are having this conversation now, who am I? I am me a continual discovery of me and who I am becoming every single day and every moment Mm. of every day. And that is, like I said at the beginning, like if I hold on to whoever I think I am in any moment, it means that I'm holding myself back from who I am to become in the next. Oh my gosh. That's quotable. If she wasn't (laughs) wearing AirPods, she would mic drop that. I mean, that was so, wow. I I'm going to be sitting with that all day. Um, So that's the, like, the, the quotable mic drop one. And, and it's true. And it really is that I, cause I've, I really do believe that because I have held myself back so much from holding on to who I think I am or who I think I should be or who I used to be. And I had to be, I have to be willing in any moment to let go of that because right. it means that something greater is coming. And if you were to ask me that on the street, there is no way I would give you that answer. <laughs> I'm not there yet. <laughs> and that's okay. I mean, right. That's authentic. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd probably fumble a little bit because I get really awkward with titles now, but I, you know, the sort of meeting in the middle, like I'd probably say that some of the, like, you know, I I help people reach greater potential and amplify their impact or like the, the newest label or tag is leadership advisor. And I feel like that's a really good one, except it's still, I mean, all of it is like, is, you know, so flat and, doesn't really describe who we actually are as individuals and as you know non-role entities. My greatest, my my highest core values are progress and service. Mm. And so what gets me out of the out of bed every day is knowing that is stepping forth into greater possibility and growth for myself and other people and serving in the greatest way possible in order to use my gifts for the greatest impact. Mm. And so that's what kind of gets me out of bed, but then I've got lower level values of like achievement is still one <laughs> and some of those, but anyway, so I consider myself to be high in integrity, const- like constantly striving for the practice of authenticity and highly invested in progress and service. That is who I am. Okay. And how do you, cause you mentioned earlier in the episode that you've battled with this perfectionist tag and people, and I mm-hmm. think people pleaser and perfectionist to me really go together, but you can grab either one. Cause this question kind of relates to both. Is that something you're constantly overcoming that perfectionist label 
You're, yes, she's nodding. I, <laughs> yes, yes, I am. Absolutely. So what I noticed, so when I left Google, I thought, oh, I've been doing so much inner work for so long. Like right. I'm good. I'm past like the perfectionism that I've dealt with my entire life. I mean, when I was in college, my boyfriend at the time told me that I was such a perfectionist that he bought the book when perfect isn't good enough. So like that tells you who I am. <laughs> um, even at Google, they considered me a perfectionist. So like, I'm a real big perfectionist, not a big deal, big perfectionist. Yeah. So anyway, but like, you know, here I was being willing to quote unquote, jump off the cliff and leave my job to go after a completely different career in a totally new industry and like be willing to make all kinds of mistakes and all this stuff. And I thought, oh, okay, I'm past this. And then I left and I sat at the bottom of the cliff and I was completely overwhelmed by fear because what I didn't anticipate is that any time we stretch beyond our comfort zone, all of those insecurities and reactive patterns and things that have we have used in the past to keep ourselves safe and small, they all come out with a vengeance. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much growth we've done. It oh, is man, always yeah. going to be the case. And so this is one of the core things I now teach is that we have to learn how to have fear without letting fear have us. Because if we have to wait until the time that we are not scared, we will be waiting forever because right. what keeps us in our comfort zone are those patterns. As soon as we get out of them, all of the stuff that we've been battling our entire lives is going to come back. And it doesn't mean we're doing it wrong. It means we're growing and we're doing something right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I love everything you say. I, I feel like I'm just like sitting here like a, a child, like being educated. I seriously, everything you say, I just, I want to throw an amen at Okay. I have one question. I know you need to go. My last question is what is the most common assumption that people make about you that isn't accurate? Ooh, that's a good one. Well, I don't know because I don't know that they check it out. That's Let's valid. see. So the one that I make up that people make of me is, so I'm like a natural light blonde and I'm little and I have like high energy and like, I'm sort of the quintessential cheerleader type. Like I was actually a cheerleader. I mean, I know you're an adult cheerleader. I was a you know high school cheerleader, not the same, <laughs> but so I make up that people assume that I am probably not very smart mm. and, or like driven. And so, yeah. And I have no idea. I think that's probably not true is what I have to guess, but like, that is one of the things that's an identity that I have that is, or, you know, a tag that yeah. I constantly have to work on. And so I find myself like, if I'm feeling insecure or, you know, what, for whatever reason, like I'm feeling like that is an assumption. I find myself like dropping big words or um, <laughs> like sounding more serious or something stupid. Well, it's and to, so to your dumb. point, if you go to that chameleon place of like, no, I need to fill in, you know, I need to prove something to somebody. And yeah. I, gosh, I relate so much to that. And I think that is, that comes a lot with my cheerleader tag too. I've got a lot of, a lot of tags popping up as I'm auditioning for this pro sports cheer team. And it's so great. I mean, everything you're saying, I'm like, oh yes. Like that is so happening to me right now. And I love what you said about the things we tell ourselves because we don't like when others make assumptions about us, but it's funny how we will make assumptions about the assumptions that we believe people are making about us. And it just becomes this foreign language swirling tornado where nothing really makes sense yet. We've attached all these negatives to ourselves. And I'm like the queen of this. People think, oh, you teach this. You don't do this. No, I am the avatar. I do it 
just as much as anybody else. That's why you teach it because you do it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of it's tied into my extrovert tag and my chameleon tag mm-hmm. and some of those other ones that I wear, you know, and I wear them proudly, but that doesn't mean that they don't need to be torn out as well. So mm-hmm. Erica, you have been a joy. I would keep you on this show for another hour if you'd let me. Erica will be back. We've got quite a few more subjects that we've dug into <laughs> that we're like, we're going to brave the waters and make some some more a little more bold episodes. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to make her, I, I can't make her, but I'm going to invite her back. So thank you so much for being on the show today and bringing just an immense amount of value to the tear out the tags audience and the emboldened team. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I'm so thrilled to be able to serve your audience. To learn more about how you can have Erica Gerdes meet with your team and your organization, go to ericagerdes.com. That's E-R- I-K-A-G-E-R-D-E-S.com. She is also on Instagram and LinkedIn, and she would love to hear from you about today's episode. Also, as always, I will drop the links to her information in the show notes, and I hope you guys have a fabulous day.